Giving to the Poor, from the sermon series, Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Pastor Peter, on. So listen, you may not know this, some of you may, who are close to me, but uh, this year, Jenny and I, my wife, we have been together, we'll be celebrating, in terms of being together, that includes dating and being married, for 29 years. I'm not even that old. 29 is a long time, all right? We've been together more than half our lives, and uh, we've been married going on 22 years, but we dated about seven before we got married, and so it's a long time, almost three decades, and I still remember when we first met each other, I was a freshman in college, she was a sophomore in college, we met each other sort of informally, I didn't say hi or anything, it was at the cafeteria. I was online to get food, and I'm telling you, when we both saw each other, it was literally love at first sight. For her, not for me, all right? All right, really, it was she, I mean, she was checking me out in ways that I felt a little uncomfortable, all right, a little uncomfortable. I was ahead of her, so I, so I turned around, I just saw her staring at me in such a way, I confronted her about that uh, years later, and I said, you know, you were like really checking me out, and she said, no, I wasn't. She said, I just never seen such a tall Korean in my entire life. So I just couldn't stop looking at you. But I still believe it was more than just that kind of a stare. But anyway, uh, when I, it took a few months. We became friends eventually, and I started to get to know her, start to like her, become a bit more enchanted with her. And as a result of that, uh, I really wanted her to like me back. You remember that time when you liked somebody and you were hoping that perhaps maybe they would begin to like you back? Well, my motivation was to do whatever it took. My primary motivation at that point was really to get to a place where I could say, hey, I'm gonna do whatever I can to make sure that she falls in love with me. And so I did everything. I went to the store, to the Gap, make sure I got some new clothes, you know, some new threads. Hopefully she'll be able to check me out, think, oh wow, he looks nice today. I was hoping that would happen. Got some extra gel, some different brands of gel, put some extra on my hair, slick it up just a little bit more. Hopefully that, that would make her notice me a little bit more. I go to the gym, do, pump out a couple extra sets, do some reps, hoping that perhaps maybe, maybe she'll begin to see, check me out, look at, oh, he's getting, wow, he's muscular, you know, things like that. But my secret weapon was my cologne. I grew up in an Italian neighborhood, and so the cologne that I really believed that it would do it was Dracar. You guys remember Dracar? I would put extra amounts of that before I would eat every meal, hoping that I'd see her, so that she took a little whiff of that, she'd start to associate that smell with me, and who knows what will happen if that happens. And you know what? It all worked! Because on December 16th, 1992, she said yes. She would go out with me, and she would begin this relationship with me. And I gotta tell you, in the beginning, unlike, well, like all of you here, when you like somebody, your motivation at that point is to do whatever you can do to get that person to like you. Never at one moment have I ever asked myself, particularly in the beginning of that relationship, I never asked myself, and nor would you, it would be a little weird, I never said to myself, am I good for her? Would I ruin her life with my dysfunction? None of us ask those questions in the beginning, right? Because when you like somebody, your motivation is just, I'll do whatever it takes to get her to like me, get him to like me. And that's kind of normal, I think, in the beginning of a relationship. But we've been together for almost 30 years, and here's what I've learned. I've learned that the most dysfunctional our relationship gets is when we continue to approach our relationship with that motivation. What can I get from her? Well, how can Jenny benefit me? 
When it's always about me, and I'm telling you for the past 30 years, and my kids are here, so they're probably going to be chuckling, the times where I've struggled the most with my wife was when I just kept thinking about myself. How can she fulfill my needs? What she did wrong and not what I did wrong. And I've learned that in the past 30 years, being with her, I realized that in order for me to enter into an intimate relationship, a relationship that's vibrant, and after being together with her for 29 years, I still think the world of her. I think she's still pretty hot, all right? Um, The reason why that happens is because we have to, as human beings, get to a place where our motivation and why we pursue relationships with each other cannot just be about you. It has to be about the other person first. And the better I am at realizing that and the better I am at doing that every single day, I realize the better our relationship gets. But the moment that I start to always think that it's just about me and that she is here now to serve me, fulfill my needs and things like that, I realize that how messed up that is and that our relationship really, really struggles. Have you ever thought about that in terms of your relationship with God? You see, I think when you first become a Christian, just naturally, like when you first are courting somebody, it's all about you. You become a Christian because you start to think, oh, well, you know what? God could bless me. I can go to heaven when I die and and all these things. And it really just becomes about you. How can God fulfill your needs and bless you? But over time, if that does not change, if your posture doesn't change in how you approach God, and if I were to ask you, what is your motivation of why you call yourself a Christian today? If it doesn't have an element of you trying to think about how can I be a blessing to you, God, we're never going to be in an intimate relationship with the God who created us. Because an intimate relationship cannot be forged in any relationship, even with your Father in heaven, when it's all about you. When it just has to be about your benefit, it's never going to go deep. And I'm sorry to say that I think the reason why so many of us struggle and we go through our ups and downs at a spiritual level is simply because our motivation of why we pursue God is really focused about what's in it for me, myself, and I. That's the trinity that we believe in. Me, myself, and I. And if we ever want to get to a place where we can go deep, have you ever met people who have a deep, intimate relationship with God and you wonder, what do I have to do to get there? Jesus teaches us that today. He teaches us a secret to what your motivation has to be, your primary motivation, what it needs to be in order for us to enter into a deep, intimate relationship with God. I'm going to be very serious with you today. I don't think it's worth being a Christian if you're not willing to go there. It really isn't. I don't think it's really worth for you to say you want to follow Jesus when you just see him as a a servant that you dispatch for your own purposes. He's so much more than that. And that's why we're studying the Sermon on the Mount since January, the beginning of this year, because Jesus is with his disciples and he's teaching us how we can begin to grow and truly call ourselves a disciple. What needs to be our primary motivation and why we call ourselves a Christian today? Jesus is going to share with us a secret to that. It's in this passage. It's not explicitly stated, but it definitely is implicitly stated. So if you have your Bibles, turn with you to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the NIV translation. Here's what it says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. Now, The next three weeks, we're going to focus on three different kinds of righteousness, okay? He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward. Now, circle or underline that word reward because for the next three weeks, 
Jesus is going to say that word over six times, all right? Uh, If you do, you will have no rewards from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so God, I do pray that this would truly be a holy moment for all of us here at Greco, but also those at home. God, help us to do a real deep inventory of what's going on in our souls this morning. And help us to be bold enough to ask that question. Why? What is the motivation of why I call myself a Christian today? God, I pray that you'd really speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would move us in a deep way, God, so that we can begin to grow in the way you want us to, that we would pursue this relationship with you, hailing you as our king and hailing ourselves as a servant to the king of kings and lord of lords. So God, I pray you help me just to preach this and I pray that the words that come out of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts in this room will be pleasing unto you. It's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You don't know how good it is for me to hear you say that. I've been saying that a lot and it was an empty room, so it really feels great to hear you say amen. What is the motivation of why you're a Christian? Is this so that God could bless you, so that God could continue to bless you at work? Maybe find work if you don't have work. Maybe find a husband or a wife if you don't have one, or if you have one, maybe to finally figure out ways to reconcile that relationship and make it better. Is it to maybe um, help you to get to a place of healing? Maybe a family member is sick and you need healing, they need healing, and you want God to come and through to you and pray and hoping that God would bring healing. Is it for sort of safety? Do you pursue God so that God could protect you and your children? Do you pray to God so that you could, you, you believe in God so that you could have the safety that even when you die, you'll be safe. You'll be able to go to heaven when you die. Those aren't necessarily wrong motivations, but they cannot be your primary motivation because if, be, if that becomes your primary motivation, then all you see God is just a dispenser of blessings. And he's so much more than that. And I'm here to tell you something. God doesn't have to give you anything because he's already given you everything in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so what is the posture? What is the posture that Jesus wants his disciples to get to, that he wants you and I to get to? You know what it is? What is the motivation that you and I need to carry with us every single day so that we can grow in a deeper, more profound relationship with God? You know what it is? Write it down if you have a pen. It's gratitude. Gratitude. That if you and I have this heart of gratitude, knowing that God has already given us everything, he doesn't have to give us anything else, and the everything that he's given us is in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ has come and he's died for us on the cross, resurrected from the dead. God did that, not just so that you guys can go to heaven one day, you'll be safe. He did that so you can have a relationship with him. He created the universe and created you and me for the sole purpose so that we can be in a relationship with him because that's what God is about. God's about community. And we weren't able to do that freely until Jesus Christ came and died for us on the cross and resurrected from the dead because our sins prevented us from entering into that kind of relationship with God. And it should boggle your mind to know that no matter how many times you've sinned, over and over again, regardless of who you are, God will forgive you. I love 1 Corinthians 1, towards that latter part. It says that God has created this position for you and I to be in unity with Jesus Christ. That means that when God sees us, Get this for a second. He doesn't see necessarily the sins that you've committed. He sees Jesus in you. That's the unity that God has created, has forged. That should create within us a heart of gratitude 
such a gratitude that we come to the realization that, God, you don't have to give anything else to us because you've already given everything to us. That's the kind of heart that Paul carried in when he was in prison, literally getting ready to die. He knew that, God, you don't got to get me out of here. You don't got to do anything for me because you've already done everything for me. That's the posture of gratitude. And if you want, I ever want to get into that relationship with God in a deep way, we have to have that posture of gratitude. That doesn't even happen on human relationships. If I don't have a heart of gratitude towards my wife, you know, I won't treat her right. And so we have to realize that this heart of gratitude is a key thing. And so if you and I want to really allow ourselves to take the step of picking up our cross and following him towards this path of discipleship, this heart of gratitude is everything. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. And so how do we do that? How do we grow in a heart of gratitude? Because that's really important. Jesus gives us three key things in how we can begin to cultivate a heart of gratitude. And if you begin to start to do this today, it will help you. The first thing is this. We grow a heart of gratitude before God when we nurture our personal relationship with him. We grow a heart of gratitude when we nurture our personal relationship with God. Look at verse 1. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying here basically is simply this. He's saying that you and I, we have personal relationship with God. We should, but we also have a public relationship with God. Our personal relationship with God must be far greater than our public relationship with him. I have a public relationship with God. Me standing up here in front of you is showing this public relationship that I have with God. Now listen, if the only time I read the Bible is when I have to preach to you, I have a problem. I have a real big problem. If the only time I pray is when I have to preach to you, I have a problem. That's a public relationship with God. And so many of us, we have a lot of pastors here. We have a lot of church leaders. We have people who are deep and mature spiritual. You've led things within this church. Can I just ask you, do you nurture your personal relationship with God? Is that far greater than your public relationship with him? Because if your public relationship with God is really the only time when you connect with him, when you pray, when you read the Bible and study the word of God, we're gonna have a big problem. You're just gonna see a God that's supposed to sort of help you to continue to guide you, to use you, not for God's glory, but for your glory. We have to be willing to nurture our personal relationship with God. Meaning it doesn't matter who knows about how much you pray or how you connect with him, but all that matters is that you're nurturing that. And through that, your outflow of your public relationship with him can really come about. And so how do we nurture, so that we can have this heart of gratitude, how do we nurture a personal relationship with God? This is probably the most important thing I learned about 11 and a half, 12 years ago that I've tried to apply to the best of my ability because if you can't do this, you're never going to nurture your personal relationship with God. You know what it is? Slow down. Slow down your life. Some of you are living at incredible speeds. You don't even give mind to the fact that you are so busy every single day. And you have no idea how to slow down your life where you can nurture and enter into this personal relationship with God. Think about it. How can you have a relationship with someone, let alone God, who you can't see if you're so busy, if you have so much going on? To live an unhurried life is one of the most spiritual things that you can do to nurture your personal relationship with God. And I know what that feels like for some of you. You think, well, 
I don't want to feel lazy. That might be lazy if I take some days off. It's, it's vital if you want to grow deeper in your relationship with God. You have to learn to slow down. So here are the two things that I do to help me to slow down. The first thing is this. I observe a Sabbath. One day a week, I observe a Sabbath where I turn off my phone. I don't engage in social media. Well, I don't really engage much in social media anyway to begin with, but I, I do not do that. I don't do any church work. I don't turn on my computer. I don't do any of that stuff. I try to rest, but I also delight. Sabbath is not just about rest. Sabbath is about rest, and Sabbath is about delight. I asked the pastor this. I'm mentoring a few pastors, and I asked him a couple months ago. I said, hey, what are you delighted in? And you know, he couldn't tell me. He didn't know because he's so busy. He does too much ministry. He never has time to do anything he delights in. And that's a sad reality. It's a reality for many of us. The reality is that we're so busy, we don't do anything we delight in anymore. You know what the sad thing is? We put that on our kids, too. Because our kids are so busy now that they can't even be kids. They can't even do things that they want to delight in. And, we, and, and, and it's amazing because we think like you got to enter into a certain place and we have to work, we got to do certain things, and so we can't find things that bring us life. When I say delight, what I mean is this, something that builds and feeds your soul. Something that you know that when you do this, you become a better person afterwards because God is a, is a part of this activity that you are delighting in. One day a week, try to do something you delight in. Slowing down. You know what I love about Jewish folks, and I love connecting with some of the rabbis here, is that Sabbath is everything. You know why for Jewish people, Sabbath is everything? The main reason why is because for 400 years, while they lived in Egypt, in the Bible, you read this, they couldn't take a Sabbath because they were slaves. Slaves don't rest. Slaves work every single day. And for Jewish folks, they realize that why Sabbath is such a sacred time for them is because it reminds them that they are free, that they don't have to work every day, that they're not slaves. And it's so amazing because the devil has whispered into so many of our ears, particularly leaders and ministry leaders in the church, to just keep being busy. It doesn't matter. Keep being busy to make us to believe that we're God and without us working seven days, that this thing won't stay afloat that we call work. And we've enslaved ourselves without even knowing it. Take a Sabbath. Start today. Take a Sabbath. Rest, but do something you delight in. The other thing is you got to spend every day, just a few minutes if you can, in silence. Could I encourage you, five minutes in the morning, five minutes maybe in the evening, or maybe in the afternoon, just be silent. Find an anchor word, because a lot of times when you're silent, your mind just drifts all over the place. That happens to me all the time. you got to find a word, an anchor word, a spiritual word that's going to keep you grounded in God. So as your mind starts to wander, you go use that anchor word again. For me, that word, I don't know what it is, but when I, you know, I'm not very fluent in Korean, but sometimes when I use Korean words, it helps me stay real focused. So for me, it's abaji. That's father in Korean. That's my anchor word when I'm silent because it helps me stay focused on God. But you gotta try to be silent every single day, incorporate that within your life, and observe your Sabbath. Living an unhurried life is a really important thing. So um, I, I was away for the past 10 days. I was in Nebraska fishing with my buddy, Pastor Eugene. You guys know him, he's come here and preached before. And I think I have a picture, yeah, there we are. 
Eugene is my fishing coach. He's taught me how to be a pretty decent fisherman. And so we do this every year. We spend anywhere between a week and we spend about 10 days together. And we were fishing, doing life together, living this unhurried life. Uh, there's hardly any phone reception where he's at. Uh, this part of Nebraska is so rural. It's called Brady, Nebraska. And uh, it's just a, an amazing time just to slow down, to do life, to also share some truths about one another because we committed to praying for each other every single day. And the truths that we share with each other aren't always happy truths. They're truths that we have to hear to grow deeper in our character as human beings. But then we pray for each other. And it's something that's very life-giving. And, and the only way I can do that is if, if I make sure that I try to put some time in my life where I can live an unhurried life. Cultivating your personal relationship with God will lead to a heart of gratitude. And when you have that heart of gratitude, you pursue God not so that he can do things for you. You pursue him so that you can be an agent to expand his kingdom here on earth. That's how you go deeper with him. Nurture that. Nurture your personal relationship with God by living an unhurried life. Slow down. Second, we grow a heart of gratitude before God when we eliminate hypocrisy when we eliminate hypocrisy. Look at verse two. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Hypocrites often do the right things, but they do it for the wrong reasons. You guys know that. Uh, there's nobody here that likes hypocrites. In fact, probably for some of you, you left the church for a very long time because you just felt like it was just a, a group of people that were just a bunch of hypocrites. But the truth is we all struggle with it, don't we? We all struggle with hypocrisy, including myself. And here's the thing, and notice the progression here, that if you don't have a personal relationship with God and it's not being nurtured, you know what's gonna end up happening? You're gonna create a false self. And that false self is basically a person in your life that will continue to live a life of hypocrisy. So understand how important this is. If you want to eliminate hypocrisy, you really have to nurture your personal relationship with God and you have to eliminate hypocrisy because hypocrites are like actors. What they do is they see the world as their stage. And what they're longing for is for approval, but more than approval, you know what they're longing for? They're longing for glory. And the reason why that's so dangerous is because you and I have been created by God to live for him and to do things for him, not for our glory, but we do it for the glory of God. That's what God's put us on this planet for. That's why we're here, to be in this relationship with him, to be used as an agent so that other people can encounter the presence and the love and the wonder of who God is. And if we do that for our own glory, that's a dangerous place to be. And that's why the, the Pharisees that Jesus is talking about here is that they have this ravenous hunger for self-glory. And hypocrisy is what leads us to wanting to live a life where we want to glorify ourselves more than God. And that's why we create this image of ourselves. That's really not who we are. We have to be willing to eliminate hypocrisy. And I think all of us, we have a struggle with that at some levels. You have to do battle with it. And how do we eliminate hypocrisy so that we can continue to grow in a heart of gratitude? It's one thing that really has helped me over the years. You know what it is? Confess your sins. Just confess it, not to everyone, maybe to one or to three people or so, but confess, do a life confession of all the sins you've committed. Don't keep that a secret just between you and God because at the end of the day, it's just between you. It's not just between God because if, it wants, if you want it to be between you and God, it should always be in the presence of someone else. That's why Jesus says, when two or more are gathered, I am there. Confess it, share it, 
receive God's mercy and grace through it. I make sure that my soulmates, when I confess my sins, I make sure to remind them, and I tell them too, that they have to say, Peter, because you've confessed your sins, your sins are forgiven. I don't get off the phone with them. I don't get off Zoom with them until they tell me that. Because I need to encounter God's mercy and his grace. I know that sometimes we feel really a lot of shame when we confess. But there's really no shame in it. Because true holiness doesn't happen until you and I are willing to be fully transparent and honest. That's the mark of holiness. Not committing a sin or not committing a sin. True holiness is about transparency, about being honest. And we really grow a heart of gratitude when we can eliminate hypocrisy, but we can't do that if we're living a fake life, a secretive life where people don't know our dark side. You have to be willing to let somebody into your world, to your dark little worlds, and allow God's healing grace and mercy to be upon it. That's how you eliminate hypocrisy, all right? So that's another way in how we can grow in our gratitude before God. And the last one is this. We grow a heart of gratitude before God when we give in secret. When we give and see. Giving is one of the righteous things that Jesus talks about. He's going to talk about giving. He's going to talk about praying. And then he's going to be talking about fasting, all right? But the giving thing is important. You got to give in secret. Look at what it says in verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret, there's that word again, will reward you. Will reward you. Giving back in the first century for a Jewish person was very important because it was really one of the pillars of their faith. The Hungarian society was a, real, uh, it was a poverty-stricken society. And so a good faith-believing Jewish person would always give generously to the poor and the oppressed. And so this idea of giving, but Jesus said, when you do give, you got to give in secret. Don't give so that people can say, wow, look how much this person gave. That's not, shouldn't be your primary motivation of why you give. Let me just say this about our church. I really think this is one of the most generous churches I've ever been around in a very long time. During this pandemic, so many churches have been struggling tremendously because giving has gone so down. But I just want to thank our church because we wouldn't have been able to do the ministry that we've been doing over the pandemic if it wasn't for your generosity. You have given so generously to this church, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart that you've done so. And may you continue to do so. But I, I just want to encourage us to never miss what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when you give, you should give to the point where you don't even know what you're giving, meaning you forget about it. He says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is giving. Don't, let it, don't, don't allow that to happen. And so there's this idea of you giving because of just your gratitude to God. That you're giving because God has given you everything and you're giving out of a sense of gratitude to him. That's the posture that God wants you and I to have as we give. And can I just encourage you, if God has blessed you financially during this pandemic, give. Give out of a sense of gratitude. Be generous with what you have. Don't hold it back and just keep it for yourself. I know for a lot of us, we love safety. We want to have a sort of an insurance package. But let's just be generous in giving of what we have. We're trying to do the same thing as a church. That as God's blessed us, that we want to just make sure that we're doing our best to give. Give to churches who've taken massive hits because of this pandemic. Bless them in the ways that we can do it. We're trying to do our best as a church to do that as well. But personally, can we begin to give? Because when we give with that kind of generosity in secret, where we don't care what anyone else thinks, and we don't do it for the applause of other people, it really shows that you have a heart of gratitude, that you're doing it out of a sense of gratitude. Why do you give? 
Why do you give? Do you give for a tax write-off? I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that shouldn't be the primary reason why you give. Do you give because you want God to bless you with more? That shouldn't be the reason why you give. We should give out of gratitude because of what Christ has done. God has given us everything, and at the end, he doesn't really need to give us anything more. We give out of that sense of gratitude, out of that sense of generosity, and when we do that, we enter into this deep relationship with God because we're able to have a motivation of gratitude is why we pursue him in a very deep and powerful way. It's not easy to approach God with that kind of attitude. It's not easy to have that kind of motivation of just pursuing Jesus because of gratitude, nothing else. But it's the only way in how we can truly go deeper with him and know the height and depth and width of his love for us. And so if you and I want to truly grow in this heart of gratitude, we have to nurture our personal relationship with God. Slow down your life. You have to eliminate uh, hypocrisy from your life. Do that by confessing and being honest about your sins with someone. That is such an important aspect to it. And the last thing is to be generous in secret. Give without people really knowing. So I got back from my trip on Wednesday, and um, I was tired because I got back late. I uh, had dinner late with the family, and then at the end, uh, I said to my son Christian, I said, hey, let's go down and work on your baseball. And so, you know, Christian, when he was eight years old, I started playing baseball. With him. Baseball is my favorite sport. I love baseball. Um, and uh, I was like, I hope the kid will love to play it as well. So when he was eight, I brought him a mitt, and we started catching in the house. And he's gotten better over the years. And uh, he's a freshman in high school now. And so he's at a place where he likes the game enough, where he wants to try really hard to hope that he could play maybe some college ball one day. And as a father, I am delighted to hear that because I'd love for him to play some college ball. I think it would be great if he would ever do it. Now, will he get there? I don't know. But for the last two years, he's been working incredibly hard at it. And it's been great. It really has been, and just seeing his improvement and what he's been willing to do, it's been really good. And so before I went on my trip to Nebraska, I said to him, I said, hey, papi, listen, I'm not going to be around for 10 days, but I want you to work hard, all right? I need you to go down, says, we have a baseball net, and he hits the tee. There's some things that he, we have some drills that we do for hitting, for mechanical. We even built a batting cage outside of our backyard. So I was like, you don't, just make sure you stay active, right? Invite your friends over and, you know, hit with them and stuff like that. And then he also has a workout regimen that he does regularly, like physical workouts so that he can get stronger. And so I said, don't slack off. And he said, okay, he goes, I won't. And so I come back Wednesday night, tired. I said, let's go down, let's work. So we worked on his mechanical swing, and then he did some exercise. And, uh, and his exercise basically is push-ups and pull-ups. That's all it is, really. And so I was like, all right, well, why don't you do the, the number of push-ups that you normally do? And, uh, and he was doing it. And he was really struggling with it, like right from the beginning. And I realized that this kid didn't work out <laughs> at all, probably, since, I, since I've been gone. And so I don't know what it was. Part of that was because I was tired and stuff. It just kind of triggered me. And I just got angry at him. I said, Christian, I mean, if you want to play college ball, you, you got to wake up, man. You got to do this by yourself. You got to be motivated to do this. I can't be the one motivating you. You have to have that motivation yourself. I was getting worked up about it. And he, said, he looked at me and he said, Dad, why are you getting so worked up? Why are you getting angry? And I said, because look how bad your performance was. I could barely do push-ups. And I kept lecturing him. And as I was lecturing him, he looked at me with these eyes. And the reason why he was looking at me with those eyes, and the reason it bothered me was because those were the eyes that I was looking at with at my dad when I was young. It was, it was a look of fear but coupled with anger. 
And I didn't like the way he was looking at me. Usually he won't look at me, he'll just kind of look away, but he wouldn't stop staring right into my eyes. And I didn't like that, it bothered me. Well, you know, we said goodnight after we prayed, we said goodnight, and usually he gives me a hug, but he didn't give me a hug, he just went upstairs, and I thought, okay, I probably deserve that. Next morning I wake up and I just, you know, I try to process this with God. It's one of the things I love to do, I just kind of process it with him. And as I'm processing with him, God starts to speak to me really deeply about this, and I'm trying to remove the layers of what's going on in my heart. And he said, Peter, what is your motivation of why you're doing this with your son, baseball? Is it just so that you could see him play one day in college? I got, I'm just, just going to be very honest with you. Like, you know, it's kind of like a hope that I have as well. You know, I'm, I'm kind of built like an athlete, but I never played any serious sports, like especially collegiate level. I said, what's your primary motivation? And here's what God said to me, and this is what was really, he gave me a choice. He said, Peter, I gave you baseball so that you and Christian could go deeper in your relationship with him. That's why you have baseball. Your choice is, will you take it at that? Or will you just continue to work with him so that he can play at a higher level one day? It's like, that's your choice. Because the way you're acting, and if you don't stop and change, who cares if he plays in college if he hates you? Do you really want that? I chose the former. I said, God, you know, it's a, it's a blessing that every day I get to work with my boy on a sport that I love to see him play. And we get to connect at a level where we can laugh, joke around, and have a good time and be in a relationship with each other. And I said, God, I'm going to do better. That that's really the end goal. And if he goes on to play at a different level, then that's fine. That'll happen one day, then that's good. But that's not what we're going to go for all the time. It's really to nurture this relationship with him. And that I have to be grateful. I have to have this heart of gratitude that God has given us an opportunity to come together in a relationship where we can go real close through a sport like baseball. But if I don't have that heart of gratitude, I'm not going to be able to go deeper in my relationship with him because I'm only going to be looking at his performance. And that's going to ruin our relationship. Don't we do that with God too? Because the choice that you have to make simply is this. Will you enter into this place with God and say, God, because of what you've done, I'm just so grateful. I am just so grateful for what you have done for me. That you've sent Jesus Christ to come and die for me on the cross. And that no matter how many times I sin, you still see Jesus in me. That I'm so grateful for that, God. Thank you. I will live my life for you every single day. Or are you going to live your life hoping that God would always answer and do things for you every single day? Because if you choose that path, you will be, you'll get to a place where you get disappointed in God. You'll get to a place where you're not going to know really the height and depth and width of his love. So what are you going to choose today? Are you going to choose a place of gratitude that you enter into this relationship with God so that you can nurture that through eliminating hypocrisy, through cultivating this personal relationship with God, and through being generous in secret? Or are you going to just continue to enter into this relationship hoping that God will continue to bless you and give you things? Because if we continue to pursue that path of just expecting God to do things for us, 
we're not going to know what it's like to be a true disciple. And my fear, my greatest fear, and I think God's fear is this, that we're just going to end up being a Pharisee, condemning other people, looking at other people's wrongs and other things, and never really taking a good look at how we can grow deeper in our character so that we can go deeper in our relationship with God. May we grow in gratitude. Today, as we're here, my hope is that you will begin to cultivate this heart of gratitude so that you can go deeper in your relationship with God because at the end of the day, that's what truly matters. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So I don't know where your personal relationship with God is, but maybe it's not been very good. Maybe for some of you, especially if you're a pastor or a leader in this church, maybe your public relationship takes a greater precedence than your personal. You need to make a commitment today. The commitment is this, slow down. How are you going to slow down your life? What do you need to subtract so that you can slow down? Would you make a promise to God and say that you're going to do you better? Observe a Sabbath. In order to grow in her in gratitude so that we could eliminate hypocrisy in order for that to happen is that we have to get to a place where we can be transparent and for some of us I just want you know you hear me say this a lot but it's hard to do I know it is but there's a tremendous cost you're gonna pay in your life when you don't confess your sins to someone and the price you're gonna pay is that you're gonna live in hypocrisy and you're gonna have a false self that oftentimes will take a greater precedence than your true self and Jesus didn't come and die for that false self. He came and died for the true you. And so will you eliminate hypocrisy and say, you know what, Peter, this week, God, I'm going to confess my sins to someone. And I'm going to do this. And then giving in secret. That we begin to have this heart of the posture of saying, I'm going to give, God, just because of my gratitude to you. Any giving commitments you made to certain things, certain orgs or whatever, this church, be faithful to it. Give in secret, meaning don't even keep accounts of it. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Let's just go to God and let's pray that God will give us a heart of gratefulness. God, I pray that you help our church, our community, that our discipleship will be such where we will always operate out of a heart of gratitude. And God, that will reflect in how we enter into our relationship with you, but it also will reflect in how we enter into relationships with other people, even those who've hurt us. That we will be able to approach those relationships, even with a heart of gratitude, because of what you've done. And so God, I pray that you'll help our church, help us to slow down, and stop living an unhurried life so that we can cultivate a personal relationship with you, God. Help us to find things that we can delight in so that we can observe a Sabbath, that we'll look forward to our Sabbaths because it incorporates us resting but also delighting in things that we often don't get a chance to do. And God, help us to eliminate hypocrisy by being vulnerable and being open to sharing and confessing our sins. 
so that we don't live with secrets, so that the enemy doesn't enter into our hearts in a way that will convince us to believe something that we're not because we are children of God. And sometimes our sins define us sometimes and we find our identity in it. And so God, I pray that you would release us from that as we confess our sins to somebody. And lastly, God, would you help us to give in secret in such a way, God, that the reason why we give is is nothing more than just this deep sense of gratitude that we have towards you. And God, forgive us if we've seen you more as a dispenser of blessings than a God, a king, Lord, that we need to worship and see ourselves as a servant too. So would you help Metro now, Lord, even more so than ever as we continue to dive into this and next week as we talk about prayer and then the following week as we talk about fasting, God, different things. Sometimes we do these righteous things so that we can get the credit, so that we can get the glory, but that's not what it's about. It's about you. And so help us to enter into our relationship in that way. And so God, I pray your presence would be more known than ever in these people's lives who have committed themselves to wanting to grow in a heart of gratitude. So we thank you, God, for this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how did God speak to you? There's a communication card. Can you please turn there on your app? There's a communication card there. There There's six steps that I'd love for you to take. The first one is this. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, but you've done that today and you want to do that today, just please check that off, and we promise we'll get back to you. All right? Say, Peter, I've committed my life to Jesus for the very first time today. We'd love to get back to you on that. Second, uh, it's a commitment that you're going to make, that this week you're going to observe a Sabbath. And not just this week, but every week, that you're going to take one day where you're going to rest and you're going to delight in God. All right? Then you're going to begin to do that. That's the second one. Third, Peter, I'm going to confess my sins to a trusted person. That's probably, probably the most popular next steps that we have here at this church. But it's important. It's really important that you start doing that. Because the longer you delay it, the longer you delay, I believe, intimacy with your father. You need to know and you need to experience the grace and mercy of God through God being present through the other person. Fourth, I will attend a call for Covenantal Solidarity Rally. It's on May 23rd at 2 p.m. It'll be at the Bergen County Courthouse in Hackensack. Can I encourage all of you to attend that? That's going to be an important event. We are getting, uh, this is through the uh, Asian and Black uh, Pastors Association. We're getting churches together. We're coming together for a time where we can enter into solidarity. Listen, racism is is rampant in our country. And the only way it's going to stop, really, the only way it's going to stop if the church really takes ownership of it and decides to talk about it and grow and educate themselves and figure out ways and how we can truly be a loving community by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so we're going to be calling out Christians and churches to come together. So please come and represent. There's going to be about seven, eight different pastors that are going to be sharing. It's going to be powerful. I hope that you'll come and be a part of that. And, uh, and it'll be a powerful time where the church can come in unity and realizing that the world needs the church more so than ever for Jesus Christ. But I think right now one of the ways in how they can encounter Jesus is as the church comes together and tries to deal with racism. That's really rampant in the church today as well. So please, May 23rd, 2 p.m., all right? Uh, Five, this Friday, May 7th, 6.30 p.m., we're going to have a a, a worship service in the parking lot, lifted and renewed. I I hope and pray that many of you will be able to come here. This this is the reason why you should be there for this, because we're going to be partnering with another church, Hispanic church, that's literally on the same block as our office. And I want you to know this. I never knew this church existed until we started doing our food pantry. 
and the pastor came and he decided to help out and through Mama Moore's leadership, we're getting together and their church is gonna kind of lead this worship service and I hope it's gonna be, a lot of it's gonna be in Spanish. Come, let's worship together with our Spanish brothers, our Latino brothers and sisters in Christ and unite together. The largest community in Englewood is the Latino population. You need to know that. So would you come and let's worship God together on that evening, okay? 6.30 p.m., March 7th. Put it on your calendar. You need to, you need to register. So make sure you register for that. And lastly, uh, next Sunday is our outdoor in-person service. It'll be at 10.30 a.m. at the football field. Okay, it's a huge field. You're going to sit on the football field. So please make sure you register. I think you can register today. I do believe you can do that today.